from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creates Lucia and Yellow, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Statsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Watch Hacks, streaming exclusively on Max, and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gigillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig with details. Hi, I'm Vanessa Bayer, and this is my brother, Jonah. We're two siblings who love to talk about our childhood and nostalgia and how it shaped us into the people we are today. Who are sort of emo, if I do say so myself. Welcome to How Did We Get Weird. Yeah, we pick a different adjective every (laughs) week, and I thought emo in celebration of our guests, although I'm not sure I'm super psyched about that, but uh, (laughs) hey, always good to start off with a weird reference. Yeah, so today our guest, it's someone who I've been in a band with for a long time, and the band is called United Nations, and there's a story about the band that our singer Jeff, who's our guest today, who will give a formal intro, used to tell on stage about us being sued by the United Nations, and I think that there's sort of a lot of purposeful misinformation about the band. Right. But I think a lot of people thought that this was made up and I don't think it was. It wasn't. (laughs) It wasn't. And so Jeff, I'm wondering if you can tell the story a little bit and then we'll give you an introduction, but I feel like you know it sort of better than anyone else. But we wanted to tell a story kind of related to the band in, you know, celebration of you coming on the pod. This is the genius of that band is I'm not sure I always knew everything that was going on in the band either. Like it was so decentralized to like, there were lots of times that Maybe one of us knew one thing and then somebody else knew another thing, but like it never fully got around. But the way that I came to find out that the United Nations was coming after us was we put out the first record and immediately, I think MySpace had done like a premiere of it or something. It was insane. It was huge. It got so much attention because oh, the Beatles yeah. were on fire in our cover art. And so it's just like all this weird stuff and people were speculating on who was in the band. So it, it had like the second biggest opening on MySpace 
to like Snoop Dogg or something. Like it was like, it was really wild. Right. So it got like a lot more attention than any of us expected. And we were all excited. And then we found out that like Hot Topic was going to destroy all our records that we sent them. Right. Because of the image of the Beatles on fire. Got it. It was like a copyright issue. It's all coming back to me now. I think it was probably Trevor Kelly was working at MySpace. Oh, right. At that point. I think he had somehow gotten us in some kind of premiere. It sounds so crazy to say a MySpace premiere was like such a big deal oh, for exposure but at this point it was right i think it was nine million streams yeah or something on myspace yeah so it was like hot topic like the yeah so they bought like a whole run of the records from our label i guess like the vinyl records you know because at the time like a lot of stuff is closing down but hot topics still selling records and so they bought like a sizable amount because they sold a lot of thursday t-shirts and stuff so they bought maybe like five thousand out like say we printed ten thousand records they bought like five at least i'm gonna ask this for the audience who's like on the same page with me as to what Hot Topic is. I thought Hot Topic is like a store that sells like clothes and like stuff like that. Leather pants. Yeah. So we're talking about the same Hot Topic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, they sold records like the same way that like Urban Outfitters sells vinyl now. Like if you go into Urban Outfitters. Starbucks sells CDs like at the count. I see. I see. Okay. I just wanted to make sure there wasn't like a record store called Hot Topic that I was getting confused. (laughs) So this is the place where you would get like pleather pants. You could get pleather pants. Yeah, Slipknot t-shirt and United Nations record. While you're at it, pick up the United okay, Nations okay, record. Okay, got it. Except you can't because they destroyed them all. Can't do it. Whoa. Because they got a, a complaint from the copyright holder. And the way the law works is you can be accused of selling black market records unless you provide proof that they've been destroyed. You can't send them back because you already bought them. You can't get a refund on them and you also can't hold on to them. So the only thing you can do is to destroy them. It's a really weird legal thing. So they sent us all these pictures of them destroying our records, which was amazing. That's so crazy. So the Hot Topic destroys the records and then MySpace takes down our page, right? That's right. But the thing is, if you went to our page, it said that there was a formal complaint lodged by the United Nations and people were like, this is a joke. And we were like, is this a joke? Like, literally, we were like, is this a joke? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Just to remind listeners, your band is called United Nations. The band's called United Nations. That Jonah and I have together. And so the United Nations, like their complaint was that you had their name. Right. That there was confusion in the marketplace. And we used their logo. We did use the logo. Well, it was... A version of it. A version of the logo. It was, it was you know, the punk, okay. the crusty version of the United Nations logo. Right. Yes. I remember doing some research onto... So the cease and desist letter, we were a letter made into a record. But I remember doing some research on the person who had signed it. And he had sued some other places. Like there was a video game developer who somehow the UN logo was like in the video game. And he was like, I got this season. Like there was a guy working at the United Nations who was just like going after intellectual property, like and had gone after a couple other not super high profile places, it seemed like. But like other things that named themselves United Nations. Do you know what they were? Like if they weren't bands? It was like some obscure video game. I don't really remember. (laughs) That's such a weird name for it. It wasn't the name of the game. I think just having the logo in the game somewhere. Oh, I see. I see. So it yeah, the, like the game wasn't named United Nations where it was like, you're going to sit in a meeting all day. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but like for us, it was like catnip, right? It was like getting a letter that we could wrap a bunch of cassettes in that said like unitedfuckingnations.com needs to cease and desist right now. It was like, oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. 
It was like, I think I've talked about here, like when my punk band played a talent show in high school <laughs> and like our singer started a mosh pit and spin the audience. And then they were, the principal's like, we're never doing a talent show again. We we're like, this is awesome. We ended the <laughs> yeah. talent show. Yeah, we win. This, we win. <laughs> yeah, like I feel like they're trying to like penalize you and you're like, no, this isn't the coolest thing ever. <laughs> this is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. <laughs> yeah. So I have in the other room in my house, like a record thing from you guys where it's like wrapped in like the cease and desist letter. That was your art for the next album, right? Right. It was part of the box set we put out. A part of the box set. That's what I have. And Contemporary so, Resonance, yeah. But were you guys like freaked out? Like, could they arrest you or something? Well, it was a sort of, this is the thing is, you know, as it was dawned on us that this was a real thing, we started asking ourselves like, how seriously do we need to take being sued by the United Nations? And also this is, so we were like, okay, countersuit, this is clearly parody and satire and critique. Like this is fair use, except they don't have a trademark. They have a supermark, which I didn't even know existed. I don't know what that is. So it's like a total different class. It's like way above trademark, which means like you really can't mess with this. It's a different section of the law. Like you're not allowed to mess with this. This isn't the same thing as all the other trademarks. So we were kind of like, well, that makes it more complicated because like the grounds for countersuing and stuff are totally different. You can't push back the same way. But our lawyer said, well, if you can't push back, just keep going because it is fair. Use. Yeah. Just keep going and see what happens. And what happened was eventually that guy got fired as far as I know. Although maybe he quit. Oh, the guy who was kind of going after you guys. And you know who else quit, by the way? Which is why some listeners may not have heard the story. Who was our publicist was like, "Yeah, I'm out of here. I'm not oh, working yeah, with you guys yeah, anymore." Yeah, that's right. Yeah, our publicist is like, "This is way too much, guys." Like, and it was like a really good publicist who we're still friends with, and it's all everything. It's all good, but it was like, "Yeah, later." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not worth getting involved in this over your dumb joke. <laughs> <laughs> now, can I ask this? Why the Beatles on fire? It kind of goes with the whole United Nations theme. So there is this ridiculous trilogy of books called the Illuminatus Trilogy. They were like, it was like this way back when, when conspiracy theories were still fun and they didn't like influence public policy. Right, right, right. Then there was this great like thing about how like the earth is hollow and the ocean is where like all these like mad scientists and Nazis hang out. And like, you know what I mean? It's like all these like weird conspiracy theories about like the United Nations is this like cabal and stuff like, you know, just absurd, totally absurd. And I thought some of that stuff was really funny. And then I found this artist that I really loved who had this group called the KLF, which is like, that goes back to when we were kids too. The KLF is going to rock you, you know, like what time is love? That was their jam. But they were like anarchists, like, and James Cotty was sort of like a forerunner of Banksy and like Black Lorette. He came before like all those like street artists. His big thing was like down with copyrights, like let's smash copyrights and have like, everybody can use everything at all times. And so his art had this sense of strangeness that I really loved of like, you know, people battering rams to copyright stuff. He made us those covers with the Beatles on fire and also like the record insert itself was Bugs Bunny with dynamite strapped around his waist and on the back he's blown up and it says that's all folks and like he just really likes going after corporations and stuff and I really enjoyed that about him and so it's like all kind of together in this project of mixing things like the United Nations against things like Warner Brothers or Disney or whatever it just it was just an interesting intellectual art project to me you know this wasn't like we're not going to make any money off off of the Beatles names or like the idea that we're somehow we're solving world hunger or something you know yeah and i think the attitude yeah and then having the the later seven done by ben frost who has like kind of a similar aesthetic but i think the attitude we took with it was the attitude i take with the dentist which is like let's just ignore it hope it goes away (laughs) and it kind of did in some cases it does 
<laughs> yeah, the tooth falls out. <laughs> yeah, tooth falls out or it just stops hurting or they say a tooth implant is $5,000 and you say, are, are you sure that can't be right? And they say, yeah. And then you say, oh, I'll see you in a few years and hopefully it, it'll fix itself. Jonah, it seems like you've remained really punk. <laughs> I have a very punk attitude towards dental care, and I'm sure it's going to pay off in a very positive way for me. We're going to take our first break, and then we'll be back to formally introduce our guests. (laughs) From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare it is ryan here and i have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia. And yellow, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Statsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with Hacks writer and actor Pat Regan, on how their improv experience helped them when shooting scenes and what it was like writing scripts for specific actors. You'll also hear from crew members like the costume designers on what it was like creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Hear stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and more. Watch Hacks streaming exclusively on Max and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. And we're back. So our guest today, if you haven't figured it out by now, <laughs> is a musician, best known as a frontman of the long-running post-hardcore band Thursday. He also sings for No Devotion. We play together in a band called United Nations. He's also a, a solo artist, extremely well-read individual, writer. Let's give it up for Jeff Rickley. Hey, Jeff. Sorry, we, we should have done this earlier, but we got so caught up in that story. All right. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. We're so excited to have you. And so, you know, the show is based around nostalgia. And so we have a topic from you, but I was thinking about the fact that I actually think I've been to your childhood home. Yes. When I was doing a cover story for Alternative Press, this was actually so long ago now. I was doing a cover story for Alternative Press for War All the Time, which came out, what, 20, 21 years ago at this point? 19 years ago at this point. 19 years ago. Okay. So 19 years ago, I just started working at Alternative Press. I was doing a cover story. For part of the story, they were like, you should go to Jeff's parents' house where he grew up which is kind of weird. Like, I've never done that for another band. (laughs) 
And, but I think we were like kind of friends. Like we had met. Yeah, like, we were buds. I was working for AP in the Warp Tour in 02 and we had met and we'd become friends. Yeah. And you were also good friends with the woman that I was dating that would, was my wife for a, a long period. Yes. And so somehow this came up. I remember being with you at like the label and like, I don't know, like, and then at some point, they were like, you should like not over go over Jeff's house. You should go over. And I, I ended up sleeping on like the couch in the <laughs> living room. Yeah. And like your parents were there. Your parents obviously have no long time. Very nice. But I remember you had this big kind of like lamp that curved over. Oh, it just broke. It just broke. Those lamps are so great. Yeah. Like a real big base. And then it curved way over and hung down on top of you. Yeah. 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 That's actually what I remember the most. <laughs> for some reason, that lamp really stuck <laughs> with me. Because it, it lurked over you while you. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember you like made breakfast for us the next morning. You made French toast or something. And I remember like I was writing about it, but that house, that's where you actually grew up. That's where I grew up coming home and having the house to myself for a lot of the time. Yeah. And where was it? It was in Dumont, New Jersey. Is that correct? Uh, Dumont. It's one square mile. It's a little tiny suburban town wow. by the George Washington Bridge in New Jersey. Wow. So our topic for today is latchkey kids. And so, yeah, you know, I've been to the house. Let's take us through a typical day. Jeff, you're at school. School day ends. You know, you're off the bus in Dumont. You're walking up to your front door. What happens? Well, it's a square mile, so there was no bus. We just Whoa. walked. Okay, no bus. So you just walk home from school. Okay, we live near the school, but weren't allowed to walk to school. We had to take the bus. Oh, really? It was a rule our school had. Wow, that's kind of cool that they like really cared. Ours were like, people got hit by the, like you had to cross train tracks and like people died on those train tracks all the time. Like it was a real. Whoa. How far was the walk to school, would you say, from your house? I'd say mine was about a half a mile. Okay, that's not nothing. It's not nothing, but on the mornings, which is when you really don't want to do it, it was all downhill. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. Yeah. Were you kind of like wait till the last minute and then like have to run to school? Yeah, me. that was my vibe too. Yeah, you probably wouldn't know from the way that I sing, but I had chorus in the morning. I had like, I was in the choir <laughs> or whatever. So I would always be rolling into like, you know, pre-first period chorus late and I'd get like talked to by it. But I wouldn't get like in serious trouble because it was like an elective thing. Did you ever have any solos in chorus? No. So I was a baritone in chorus, which is hard to believe from how high I sing in Thursday. But I was a baritone. It was very much like kind of like the boom, boom, boom. <laughs> what were some of your favorite songs that you said? It's just fun to th- think of you singing in chorus. I haven't quite heard you sing songs like that. <laughs> I don't even remember what I sang back then. I remembered that some days you could see my choir teachers, he would wear white button down shirts with a breast pocket. And some days you could see his bowl of like his weed. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> see it and we'd all be like, yeah, Mr. P knows what's up, you know? <laughs> so you're starting your day off in chorus. And then any other subjects kind of say, I mean, were you into English? Like, obviously, like I said, like you seem to read so many books as long as I've known you. Is that was that you big into that? Yeah. I mean, so when I was a kid, sixth grade, they separated some of us out to take like the pre SATs for some reason back then. And if you got above a certain grade, they would like put you in different classes. And one of the classes was reading Moby Dick. I was like really fascinated by that book. And the part that everybody else hated where they had like, 
a glossary of seafaring terms. I thought it was genius. Like I was so into it. I thought it was so weird. Like it didn't make any sense for this story. And I found that really intriguing. And I think that has a lot to do with the way that I've approached everything I've done in the rest of my life is like, yeah, let's throw some in there. It doesn't make sense. Really get, get the people thinking about it. Nice. Yeah. Nice. You know? So what was it like your parents worked or what was your kind of after school situation like? Yeah. So my parents worked really hard. My mom worked about a half an hour away from the house, but my dad worked in Connecticut. Wow. So he was home super late and out of the house super early. And my mom was like really overworked and stuff. So a lot of my situation was just like I ha- would have like a little string around my neck, you know, and at the end of the string was the house keys so that I wouldn't lose them or whatever. And then every day I'd walk home, I'd open up the door and I'd just do what I, like literally whatever I wanted. You know what I mean? Yeah. No rules. What was like the ultimate? Like what was like you're really going for it? The height of it was like my dad was an audiophile and he had these speakers, these clipshorn speakers that were like almost my height at the time. And you put them in the corners of the room because they use the walls as the base like trap. So like it uses your walls as part of the speakers and you could turn them up so loud that the windows would shake like. So I would just come home and put on like nine inch nails and blast it until people like called my parents at work and were like, you got to tell him to turn down that music. You know what I mean? Other days I would just, my big thing was like sneak into my dad's Reese's peanut butter cup stash and just clear him out. Like eat a whole bag of Reese's, (laughs) you know, instead of dinner, just a whole bag of Reese's while I was watching like MTV and getting into it. And you know, the great thing about being a latchkey kid was they'd be like, is your homework, you know, my parents would come home and be like, is your homework done? I'd be like, of course. And then I'd wake up like 10 minutes early and try to finish it in chorus or whatever (laughs) i never did any homework i was home alone yeah you know yeah who's gonna do homework you don't have any siblings that's why it's so awesome yeah (laughs) yeah yeah if i had like an older brother or sister it wouldn't have been home like doing whatever i wanted it would have been like hall monitors here you know yeah Yeah, i know exactly what you're saying (laughs) well it's so funny because we were thinking about this i was thinking about you know our parents work too growing up And I was like, how do we get into the house? Because you had a key around your neck. I was like, if I had a key, I would lose it in five (laughs) seconds. There's no way. I mean, I lose my keys now all the time. And Vanessa remembered this thing that I forgot, which Vanessa, you might remember it better. (laughs) Well, this is really crazy. So we had this indoor outdoor cat, Pumpkin. He really looked like a member of our family because he had orange hair. Our parents would leave our garage door open a little bit so that Pumpkin could get under the garage and get to his water and like food which was in the garage but it started serving a double purpose which was that the door outside the garage would be locked but then like when we would get home from school <laughs> this sounds so crazy we would like fully get on our stomachs and like slide under the garage door <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then enter the house from the door that was in the garage. I think one of us would do it and then the person inside could open the garage but I think it'd be like we'd get home from school I'll be like, okay, which one of us is going like, to slide under this under like 12 inch gap? You're bringing back my memory now, which is that I often forgot my keys. Yeah. And that there was a window in my parents' screened porch that I could jimmy open with a screwdriver. <laughs> and it wasn't full sized for a human, but like as a kid, I could dive through hands first <laughs> through the window and shimmy myself until I fell on the ground on the carpet, <laughs> like literally like just kind of die. like, here I go. And I'd get in 
And then I'd get through and I'd come and open the door so I could bring my backpack in, which wouldn't fit through the window at all. Yeah. That's a pretty common thing for kids, I think, in like the 80s. And 90s. Yeah, I think it was. I think you kind of just had to make it work. Like find ways to break into your house. <laughs> find yeah. ways to break into your own house. And what's so crazy is like if we could do that and we were kids, then like a burglar or a criminal or someone could definitely do it. 100%. But somehow like we're like, no, like this is a good system. This is a good system. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It was like a more innocent time in a way because yeah. like the whole thing, if you said it to parents now, they'd be horrified. Oh, yeah. Like wait, the kid was there by themselves, first of all. Yeah. Right. And second of all, like breaking into their house, like where anybody could see them breaking into the house, including cops and like, what are the cops going to do? Who knows? <laughs> right, right. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I wonder if Latchkey Kids is still like a thing or if parents are like, no, you have to stay at like an after school thing till we get home or I don't know. I don't have kids, but I assume it's less of a thing. It's got to be less of a thing. I feel like it's got to be less of a thing because I don't know. Why do you think it's less of a thing? I don't think it's that either of our parents who are all lovely people, like we've all met each other's parents, like none of them don't like quote unquote, don't love us. Yeah, <laughs> right, no, right. totally. <laughs> Basically, our houses weren't like that secured, but it was, you're right, it was a more innocent time and it's sort of a formality to like lock the house a little, a bit. little bit, at least where we were from. And so that's really funny. The other thing, Jonah, I don't know if you remember this, but yeah, we would have to do the same thing where we, I think, have to leave our backpacks outside of the garage and then like when someone would open it we'd bring them in and then i don't know if you remember this but one time when we were little these painters came over to paint our house (laughs) i don't remember this i'm just having a memory of this well okay there's two things to say one is (laughs) they were like painting our house and we were like in your room and you wanted to like be i remember we thought the painters were like really cool and (laughs) He started playing this Guns N' Roses song. <laughs> it was like really loud in your room. You started playing Live and Let Die. It was Live and Let Die. Okay. So the guy who was painting the house was like outside your window, like upstairs. And he was like, you know, this is only on the something soundtrack. And you were like, yeah. And it was like a real moment you guys had. Anyway, the other thing that I did to be cool in front of these painters was inside the garage, I took like sidewalk chalk and I wrote like, Paint me, smiley face. Okay, and either one of the, either one of the painters or our dad was like, they're not painting inside the garage. So, just for the rest of our childhood, just my sidewalk chalk that said "paint me" was like next to the garage door because it's like it's hard to get that stuff off the house. Why would you think that would make them? think you were cool i think i was just trying to be like lol like yeah (laughs) you guys are like painting the house like this is so funny i'm just gonna write paint me because like you guys will just paint over this and it's like all good but like they weren't painting the inside of the garage you thought it was like ron burgundy where if he reads it on the teleprompter he has to say it it's like oh they're painters if this says paint me they can't help it they have to paint (laughs) yeah yeah like i thought like this is gonna be so funny like they're gonna come to paint the inside of the garage and they're gonna be like it's hilarious that she wrote this in here. Now we, uh, we'll cover <laughs> like it. Like they're going to be talking to their buddies after work and be like, you guys won't believe what happened at work. It was <laughs> yeah. incredible. First, this guy was playing this really cool Guns N' Roses song. <laughs> then his sister, his this hilarious paint me inside the garage. We were dying. It, these are the coolest kids ever. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like I just remember they were like all these young guys and we were like, these guys are awesome. 
So I'm like, we're so anyway, every time we would go in the garage door, it would next to the garage door said paint me because <laughs> I had written that. Well, Jeff, another thing that you brought up is, you know, and both of us brought these backpacks not fitting in. And it's like these backpacks were huge when we were kids, right? Huge. How would you describe your backpack at that era? I still have back pain from it. Same. I think I do too. Yeah. It messed my back up real bad. Like I carried every text. That's the thing. You carried every textbook every day because you had homework in them. Well, also, there were some kids who would like go to their locker between class and like trade out books. And I would do that a little. But like for me, I was like, I'd rather have the time me too. to take my time going from one classroom to another. I don't want to have to stop at my locker. So I just, yeah. Oh, man, so heavy. And then I'd also put all the stuff that I didn't need for school that I just wanted to have with me. You know, yeah. like what kind of stuff like your like music or like, yeah, I mean, I would, you know, walk to school. So like I didn't need music, but like, yeah, other stuff that I just thought was cool. I'd be like, oh, this other book that I'm reading. It's like, well, I'm not going to be reading it at school. But like, I guess, you know, I wanted to show off that I liked books or something to some teacher or like another kid who knows what I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what I mean? stuff like that, where it's just like, it's already really heavy. My parents would always be like, that is way too heavy. Like I can see you're slouching and I'd be like, it's cool. Yeah. Especially if you're walking to school with your backpack, yeah. that's like a lot. That's a lot. And I also like wanted to be cool and have it on one shoulder. I got to do one shoulder. Do you can't do both shoulders like a dork. That's probably really good for your spine. Just having it totally off center. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Great for my spine. I bet today kids have like rolling backpacks they carry around. Yeah. Like, you know, and they don't get made fun of this way we would for wearing we would. Straps. Yeah. I feel like one or two kids had that. In retrospect, those were the smartest kid yeah i also feel like today's kids and this is just me probably projecting but i feel like they could be like i didn't take the book home and do the homework last night because my backpack was too heavy and you don't want me to like be right disfigured for life because of it right teacher and the teacher be like okay yeah right <laughs> i just feel like that's more like there's some kind of consideration of the overall health right of being. well also we were talking about this on another part like it seems like there's probably a lot of stuff that's online now like they probably don't have i think so as big and heavy of books, if any. Like, maybe it's all online. I don't know. Oh, man. I really am curious to find this out. Yeah. I am in touch with some of our teachers, Jonah. I will find this out. That's cool. Not in, like, regular contact. (laughs) (laughs) Jeff, do you think they have oat milk at schools? Or do you think they're still, like, they just chocolate and regular milk? What do you think the milk selection's like these days? I think oat is probably a good bet. Yeah. I don't think they have a nut milk. Yeah. Because I think the nut milk brings in the allergy stuff. Oh, right. Yes. So I'm thinking they're just completely avoiding almond milk and all kinds of nut milks complete. Like, I don't, I think that was never a consideration. That's a good point. I never thought about that. And then I'm curious, I want to ask you, Jeff, you, you put on all these kind of like legendary basement shows. Was that near where you grew up? About 45 minutes by car. 45 minutes by car. And this was when you were at Rutgers? That's right. Yeah. Were you still like invested in your studies and stuff during that era? Like, were you still carrying a backpack around? I'm picturing more of a messenger bag. Well, I had a car. Okay. <laughs> yeah. The way Rutgers works, my first year I took the bus to every class and I would take, you know, college classes. It's like you bring a book. Right. You know what I mean? And it's like, then it's like a three hour lecture or whatever. And then you go back home. It's kind of the way that I used to do it. But yeah. So by the time I was in college, I was also sort of lucky that I lived like a smaller offshoot campus of Rutgers where a lot of my classes were in the same building. Like I had like this weird honors program where I had no required classes. So from the moment I started, I just took all the stuff I wanted to take. Wow. Yeah, like poetry, dance in the body. I took freshman year. I was like, oh, Edward Said's Orientalism like and literature of the quote unquote other was like my first, you know, that's like all the stuff. I was like, let's just get into it. Let's get into the stuff that I'm interested in. I'm not going to take World of Insects. I'm not going to take like my gut classes that I need to get through it. Like I'm just 
forget it. Let's go. So I felt really lucky that I got to do that. But I think my time as a latchkey kid prepared me for college rather well because it was like on my own. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know? Right. And then when you would get home in college, were you still like whipping up a grilled cheese or what was your kind of vibe like? <laughs> well, I never whipped up grilled cheese. I never did <laughs> okay. anything. This is the problem that I had is it never occurred to me I could do something like good. Okay. So it was always like, what's the frozen thing in the freezer? Okay. I'll, whatever it is, I'll thaw that out and eat it. Whatever. Today, it's, a, it's one of my mom's lean cuisines. Like I'll eat that. Right. You know? That's pretty good for you. I mean, maybe a little high in sodium, but... <laughs> or if it's three toaster strudels, I'll eat those three. You know what I mean? It's like whatever. Well, you know what's so interesting is like, so you're very ambitious in your studies, not as ambitious with your snacking mm-hmm. at this era. I feel like I was the opposite. Like I would try to take the easiest classes I could in college. I took a class called Why is the Sky Blue? <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Which you did? <laughs> yes. Did you find out? I don't remember. It was like <laughs> it's like one question and you can figure it out. Then I took this class that was called Mathematical Art with Computers. And we read this book called like the holographic universe. It was like how like the whole universe is a hologram. Have, are you familiar with this? I do love that book. Yeah. So we did that, but we would it would be like literally like for extra credit, like go on your computer. <laughs> it was like an art program. It's like make a, like a Halloween picture. This came out. I'm like 22 years old, so I'm making like a little <laughs> jack o' lantern. But we <laughs> so read that sick. hologram, and then I took another class that was like a fitness class. This cannot be a thing anymore. Where the teacher was like, "Okay, we're gonna go on a treadmill the first day of class, and like everyone's gonna do it." He's like, "Okay." He's like, "I want you to run five miles a week. All you have to do is every Monday go to my office door and just write that you ran five miles, and then we won't meet all semester till the last class." Yeah, <laughs> go those. over it. What? <laughs> love those. Wait, can I just back up, Jonah? Isn't the sky blue because it's reflecting the ocean? I think it's more complicated than that. Right. right, right. <laughs> That's what I thought too. But... You, so you're saying, well, what about areas where there's no ocean? Right, and, right, 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 right. Vanessa, maybe you should take this class. Well, it doesn't seem like you learned the answer. So I, don't I think didn't anyone... learn the answer. That's a problem. I feel like it was a class. Maybe we went outside and walked around. There was some kind of scientific element to it. But I remember also hearing through the grapevine, like, this is a really easy class. Right. And that's why I took it. But I felt like I would go to the grocery store and buy tons of food. I mean, I was making veggie burgers left and right. I was making those Amy's pre-made thing thrown in my own ingredients. Well, that's surprising, Jonah, because when we were latchkey kids, you used to have me make you all of your snacks. And that's the only way <laughs> we've told this many times But Jonah would sit in our living room and watch TV. And I'd be like, can I use the treadmill that was also in the living room and watch TV? And he'd be like, I'll move up to mom and dad's room to watch TV in there. If only if you make me a snack. <laughs> so I'd have to make him like a sandwich or like all this other stuff. And I'd like make him a snack and that would get him to like move upstairs so that I could like exercise in the living room. Wow, bargaining. Which, I love it. you know, had to bargain with him literally to get him to stand up and move like five feet. I remember like literally three or four weeks into my first semester calling my parents and being like, I'm kind of hungry. And they were like, you have a meal plan included <laughs> in your tuition. And it's state school. So it was like really cheap tuition. Yeah. Like I think my year with housing and a meal plan was like $6,000 the whole wow. year. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah, two semesters. They were like, you have a meal plan like there's all this food in the cafeteria i bet i had gone like three weeks just kind of like if my friends were eating i'd be like oh can i get some of that (laughs) oh my gosh you didn't know you had a meal plan i didn't know and i would kind of like if i was hungry i'd like go home on saturdays to my because i didn't 45 minutes i had a car i'd like go home and eat a bunch of food at my parents house and then go back to school and kind of like 
basically starve all week. Whoa. And then like at some point I called them because I was like, I don't think I can go home this weekend. How am I going to eat? And they were like, what? (laughs) Also, like (laughs) we did give you an emergency credit card in case you like need something. And I was like, really? How much, how much is on it? And they were like, oh no. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like they were like, okay, this kid is like. Wait, once you figured out you had a meal plan, then were you like stoked? Were you like, oh "Oh my God. Crazy. Yeah. (laughs) I went crazy. I showed all my friends this trick that I learned from being a latchkey kid with um, the cereal bar. I knew you were going to say this because we would do this too. Yeah. Rice Krispies, right? Okay. They had a hot chocolate stand as well Okay. with all these miniature marshmallows. Yeah. So I would take a bowl and I showed everybody, you put like half a bowl of Rice Krispies, put like half a bowl of mini tiny marshmallows. And then this is the trick. You unwrap one of those single serve butters that they have and you put that on top, put the whole thing in the microwave for 25 seconds. But as soon as it looks like it's about to explode in the microwave, you turn it off and then you take it out while it's still hot and you whip it as fast as you can with the spoon until you have a whole big bowl of Rice Krispie treats. That's incredible. That's not what I thought you were going to (laughs) say. That's such a great trick that I didn't have. What I thought you were going to say is like so many people, it's so funny, like how people are around what we thought was like free food, but I guess it's just like unlimited food. All these kids would like go to the cereal bar and take like water bottles and stuff and just like fill them with milk. Like, I don't know why. That's incredible. I love that. So they could like take all this milk back to their dorm. I don't know if it's because people thought like milk was like expensive, but they'd be like, oh, I'm going to go like get all this milk to like bring back to my dorm room. Like, I remember taking like, I couldn't help myself, but take like apples and and, like bananas and stuff that I'd be like, and then it would just like sit in my dorm. Like, I just remember being like, I have to take everything I can. But also the other thing I remember everyone doing was going like the breakfast stuff was like going and making a waffle and then putting like ice cream and stuff on it. And that would be people's like dinner a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The waffle bar was definitely like, and then everybody would be like talking about the freshman 15 or whatever, but yeah. I mean, I gained so much weight my freshman year. It was just like incredible. You sort of were like, oh, I think when I go to the like commissary, you'd just be like, I just have to eat as much as I can. <laughs> like you just sort of were like, yeah. this is what makes it like worth my parents' money or my money, depending on who's, we were very lucky to have our parents pay for our college. Like, so lucky. Yeah. We had loans also. We pay. I mean, oh, we had loans. Yes. We had to pay back loans. But either way, it's like if I have the opportunity to come in here and eat, I should get as much as I can. Absolutely. It makes it a better deal. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I definitely felt that way, but I also just was so forgetful. Like, I I don't know if it's because I had all that time on my hands when I was a kid that I just didn't have any structure whatsoever. Yeah. So like when I got to college, I would just like, yeah, I would forget to eat for a few days and I'd be like, I'm kind of hungry. You know, like I'd have to wait until my body was like, dude, what are you doing? You're going to let us die. Like, What's wrong with you? That's kind of how Jonah is. Jonah would like forget to eat. And I'm like, I can promise you one thing. I will never forget to eat. Like, it's like the second it's like time for food. I'm like, uh, yeah, I'm going to need to stop everything and get it. I don't understand that about you guys. I don't know. I feel like when I was that age, though, like I can really relate to what you're saying, Jeff, because I feel like there were just really obvious things that I just like didn't get or like I didn't have like the vocabulary to like ask about stuff so I would just sort of like 
go with it. Yeah. Like until someone's like, what are you doing? <laughs> this is like, yeah. <laughs> I'm very adaptable. You know what I mean? Because of that, like I can just kind of be like, Oh, I guess this is what we're doing now. We're like staying in this car for three days and we're not eating. Like, I don't know what's happening. Okay. Sure. Well, I mean, I think probably in a lot of ways that really prepared you for like yeah. living a life where you're going to be touring a lot, especially in your twenties and stuff, because you know, you're in so many, you know, sleeping on someone's floor. You have to be so kind of flexible, especially, you know, at that era. Yeah. With Thursday, era. when we started touring, like the first two or three years of touring, we had this like, and we got this from this band Q and not you from DC, which was, we called it $5 days. So everybody like we would play a show, we get paid and we put most of that into gas. And then everybody would get $5 each day wow. and $5 is what you had to live on. And sometimes you would form an alliance with like another band member and be like, should we get bread? <laughs> yep. You know what I mean? Like together we can get bread. Yep. That's so awesome. But other days you'd be like fighting with him. You'd be like, no bread. I guess I'm going to go for Cheetos today. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I remember those days too. And what's crazy, we're going to take a break, but I actually set up a Q and not you show in a college inside a dorm when I was in college in an actual dorm and kids were trying to study there were a band from dc and i remember the elevator was broken they were carrying all their gear and i had my own band open of course yeah you got it because you gotta but yeah i set up a show with them and they became sort of this kind of like legendary band who weren't around that long but they played in a dorm everyone in the dorm pretty much hated it except like the 20 kids watching the band yeah yeah kids were literally like I don't know how you could do stuff like this. Like, be like, yeah, we should just set up here in like the recreational room of a dorm. Right. Where there's like all these other people living. I'm not going to ask them. I'm just going to do yeah, this. Yeah. Yeah. I would have been one of those kids who would have been like mad. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I definitely would have put it on too. Like definitely would have been one of the ones putting it on and definitely would have been like, what do you mean you're studying? Like, yeah. do that later. This is the show. I would have been like, who do I talk to to get these guys kicked and out? Maybe you should study some post hardcore. Okay. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with. Jeff Rickley after this. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia and Yellow, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Stadsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Jean Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with Hacks writer and actor Pat Regan, on how their improv experience helped them when shooting scenes and what it was like writing scripts for specific actors. You'll also hear from crew members like the costume designers on what it was like creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Hear stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and more. Watch Hacks, streaming exclusively on Max, and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If 
if you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. And we're back. So, Jeff, before we get to our final game, we wanted to see if you had anything else, you know, being the latchkey kid. This is our first time talking about this on the show. Do you have any other stories maybe that stick out to you sort of from that era that are maybe, you know, a little more intense, a little more maybe (laughs) interesting? I don't know. What do you got? Well, I've got some things that probably are like the kinds of stories that led to people not leaving their kids home alone. Oh, man. (laughs) Yeah, because. My favorite days to be like at home alone were either like there was a holiday from school, but not from like parents work right? or like a half day, which for us in high school, because of like the way rotating lunch periods worked, I had lunch a lot of the time at like 1030 a.m. Yeah, so did we. That was so weird. So weird, right? That was weird. That was weird. So on half days, my lunch would go right into the when the half day break was. Yeah. I'd just be like, okay, at 1030, I'm out of yeah. school for the day. This is amazing. And my girlfriend at the time, my high school girlfriend, she was like, oh, I got some mushrooms. Like, do you want to try mushrooms with me? And I was like, sure. You know, I don't know. I guess so. I didn't know what they did or anything. I just knew that they were magic. (laughs) So she was like, well, can you hold them at your house? Cause like her parents were always around. They used to like cook dinner and have dinner together and stuff like that. She's like, can you hold them? And I was like, sure. And so we had this half day and we're going to meet at my house and take the mushrooms together. And I was real excited. So I got home and I was like looking at the bag and I was like, well, I guess I should get started. So I took half and saved the other half for her. And she called and she was like, oh, I have to work. I have to work. I got called into work. Oh, man. I was like, you can't go to work because I took half already. You got to come and take the other half. She was like, you mean you took a quarter of them? Half of them are me and you have, and the other half are for another couple. (laughs) I was like, oh, no, I took half, like the whole half of the bag. She was like, that's a lot, dude. She's like, dude, that's a lot of mushrooms you just took. Like, how many times have you done this before? And I was like, never. (laughs) She was like, okay, well, I'll try and come over when I get a break because you're going to need some company or whatever. And like 45 minutes later, I was like, nothing is happening. This is so dumb. And I called her and I was like, I think you got bad whatever. And she's like, it has been a long time. Like it probably isn't. So I just ate the rest just for the fun of it. No. And then it was really serious. (laughs) It was like, Zero to 60, like my whole living room came alive and I was like dancing. My uncle is a sculptor, by the way. He like carved this one thing out of a branch of a tree that fell down in a storm. And so I had this like weird cat, like like, he's a psychedelic painter, like post-pointillist. And so we have all his stuff around my house and I'm like, it's talking to me and dancing in my living room. And I'm like dancing with it. And like, she knocks on the door. 
And I wake up and like, I don't have pants on anymore. And like, you know, it's just completely like I've lost track of four hours. And she was like, dude, you are tripping so hard. And I could barely understand what she was saying. So she leaves again, but she gets me like together where my pants are back on. And suddenly, finally, I'm like starting to come down. It's like four o'clock in the afternoon. I'm like starting to normalize a little bit. And the door opens and my dad is really early from work. (laughs) And I was like, hey, dad, what are you doing here? He's like, I'm here to make sure you get your college applications in. What? I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, it's like the deadline to have it postmarked today. So like, can you come here and look at all these essays you wrote and make sure that they're like edited and I'm trying to read them and I'm just like, oh my God, what is this saying? Like, I'm like, this is a disaster to my dad. And he's like, what? I was like, I don't even think it's English. And he's like, looking at he's like, what? It's fine. <laughs> and so I'm just like, and I'm like talking, we had a globe, like a big globe in my house. He could spin around and look at the different and like it's spinning itself and the names of all the cities are jumping off the globe. Like, whoopee. And I'm just like talking to the globe, like, you got to calm down, man. Like, he's going <laughs> to know that you're messed up. I'm okay, but you're going to get in trouble. And my dad's like, what? You being the globe. Yeah. And I'm like talking to the globe. Did you have any interactions with that lamp in your living room? I did, but it was a very benevolent creature. So it was all good, you know? <laughs> and then so he decides he's got to drive me to the post office. So now I'm in the car. And <laughs> I guess a bunch of my friends were in the car in front of me, stopped at a light. It's a square mile town. It's a small. And they're all like beeping and wait, like, hey, dude, what? You know, waving and stuff. And my dad's like, <laughs> looks like there's some people up there trying to get your attention. <laughs> and I said to him, just ignore them. They're not real. <laughs> and i guess like later at some point i told him and i was like you knew that i was like tripping really hard though right that time he was like no i just thought you were being really asocial (laughs) like they're not real don't talk to them that's like a new level of antisocial like (laughs) uh, just no one else exists in my mind this kid's pretty nihilistic and like (laughs) (laughs) wow yeah i guess in your home alone you know latchkey kid All kinds of things can happen, huh? Yeah, I mean, look at Macaulay Culkin. Right, exactly. So true. So true. Let that be an example for sure. Well, yeah, Jeff, thank you for telling that story. That I, I never knew that. Have you written any songs about that situation? I've got to someday. I did have some like really wild stuff that I remembered about that trip when I was older. I was like, wow. I bet that really traumatized me. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm sure. Wow. I'm sure. Wow. Incredible. I think it's funny that your dad just was kind of like, this is weird, but not that weird. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. like, it's not weird enough to be concerned, just like a little heightened version of Jeff, maybe. Yeah, like well within the confines of my personality. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Well, so now I'd like to introduce a brand new segment. This is the first time we're ever doing it on the show. And I've been working on this really a lot. And Jeff, I'm so excited for you to be here for the inaugural edition of a segment I called CEO Takedown. CEO Takedown. (laughs) Yeah. As listeners of podcasts might know, I like taking CEOs down a notch. Yes. And you know, as you know, CEOs don't often get taken to task for their business practices. Let's face it, people have been scared to cross them and with good reason. Until now, we'd like to introduce a new segment called CEO Takedown, where we review the facts and take down one CEO who may have the power of their company, but don't have the power over this podcast. Jonah, I think you're leaving out the last line you wrote. (laughs) Yeah. And then I wrote, that's for damn sure. (laughs) (laughs) That's for damn sure. Love it. So basically, in case you can... (laughs) understand from that summary I wrote, we're going to go through three CEOs that I found who are in the news recently. 
We're going to describe each of them. And at the end, we're going to pick which CEO deserves to be subject to a CEO takedown. And Jonah, I'm going to kind of let you lead this one because it feels (laughs) like you're the most passionate about it. Okay. (laughs) And you found all these CEOs. Yeah. I found all these. So the first one up is Mike Reed of Gannett. (laughs) Typical CEO. This is kind of what we call a classic CEO behavior. Gannett is a publisher. Okay. Right? I believe at my school, we had a building named after Gannett. Okay. In upstate New York. So basically, he just is preparing to launch a new round of layoffs. It's a newspaper chain. They lost $54 million. And this week, they're laying all these people off. They lost all this money. He spent $1.22 million to buy 500,000 shares of the stock. You know, the stock's down. He's buying all this. The Arizona Republic says, why are we suffering for poor business ownership? This dude is reaping millions off the backs of our laborers, threatening us with layoffs, then betting money and the expected gains from us gone. This is cold-hearted and immoral business practice at the hands of a CEO. So basically, the executives are trying to make money, laying people off, you know, and they're buying back their own stocks. That's what Mike Reed at Gannett's doing, according to this article. Yeah. So and this is nothing new, right? It's a bummer. Right? Yeah. Especially with the publishing industry or newspaper industry, you know, it's like already in trouble. Jeff, what do you think about stock buybacks? What do you think about this Mike Reed situation? I don't know if I like it, Jonah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm with you. I don't know if I like it. It's not good. Like I said, journalism, you know, we need more support as a journalism. And, you know, and I don't think you should be able to bet on your own company, right? Like you can't bet on your own baseball team if you're a coach. You just are waiting for the price to go. Seems like there's a a little bit of a insider thing happening that's not cool. And to quote Dan Kennedy, a journalism professor at Northeastern University who runs a blog called Media Nation, the people doing the actual work make peanuts. And now they are bracing for yet another round of layoffs. While the people presiding over this fiasco are paid hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars. Yeah, I don't like that. You know, when people talk about like the decline of the Western civilization as like the, you know, it's all going to crumble down. It's like, I feel like that's the kind of stuff. It's just, it's so obvious. You know what I mean? It's just when the people who do all the work get treated like slaves and the people who do nothing and actively undermine their own businesses get rewarded handsomely for it. It's like that can't go that can't sustain itself. That's just they're trying to get as much money out right before the fall. Who cares? Screw everybody else. Yeah. It, it sucks. I don't like it. Not cool. He's definitely in contention for the CEO we're gonna take down. He's in the running. And by the way, I assume we're taking them down with like insults and puns about their name, right? Yeah, we can't actually oust them from office. Right, right, right. Okay, Jonah, do you want to introduce this next one that you found? This next one, yep. This is Brandon <laughs> Wallachy of a company called Hypersocial. Yeah. And he's gone viral recently because he started crying talking about when he had to make layoffs and this went viral and now he's saying he wasn't trying to make it about him yeah it was an emotional post crying ceo hashtag went viral with a lot of comments basically people are saying like you know he said on linkedin you know he, he wasn't trying to make it by himself he's sorry if it came across this way i think basically this guy was laying all these people off and crying i think to kind of try to show empathy but i think some people thought maybe it was a bit performative there's a bit of like an imagine all the people type of a yeah a vibe, uh, which, you know, I love it. I love that video. I felt closer to all everybody in the video. I know everybody else thought it was like not so hot as <laughs> moment, but I was like, I like them. They seem nice. Yeah. Right. There was a video where this woman who was in charge of like letting kids into like NYU theater school to the people who didn't get in or something, she like sang a song on a video to like let them down easy. <laughs> and it's reminding me of this. It's so funny. 
And it's so like tone deaf. I feel like that's what's going on with this crying CEO a little bit. It's like, you're the one who gets to keep your job. So maybe don't. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think like we shouldn't crying is cool. Like I think, you know, we should make fun of maybe people think he's not being masculine or something. I don't think that part. I I think that's good to kind of be in touch with your emotions to express it. But I do think like, you know, right, there is a power dynamic there. Yes. I don't know the context of it. It it does feel, you know, if he's being legit, great. But if it is a little bit of a performative thing, it might be a little bit like, okay, maybe there's more you could do for the company versus this isn't really helping anyone. You're making millions of dollars every year. And, you know, I'm. it's hard for me to empathize with you. Right. So far, we got two, right? On the scale. Yeah. I think like improperly like handling your emotions is lower to me than manipulating your company. Agree. Agree. Absolutely. Agree. Yeah. Yeah. The The other guy's way worse. Yes. Yeah. I tried to kind of put them in this order. And this last one is definitely the most absurd, (laughs) wild CEO story. Okay. Yeah. And it's related to something that I know you're a fan of, Jeff, which is cookies. I know you're a big fan of sweets. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Jonah listed the CEO's name and then put in parentheses, Jeff loves dessert. <laughs> it's true. I do. I love desserts. I'm a, I'm I do, too. I do, too. Jeff has a sweet edge tattoo. I mean, he's... I'm a sugar head. He's a sugar head. Yeah, same. I'm a sugar head and a chocoholic. Go ahead, Jonah. <laughs> so I'm guessing who else is a sugar head? Jason McGowan, CEO and founder of Crumble Cookies. Okay. 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 So there is a Utah cookie war going down this summer. Right. I don't know if any of you have heard about this. Whoa. Whoa. Jason McGowan, the CEO, who sued two smaller cookie companies in May, accusing the companies of infringing on Crumble's trademark and design features of the packaging. Yeah. So he's saying these other cookie companies copied their process, trademark, well, this guy worked for the United Nations, (laughs) and trade dress in a similar way. So they filed these on May 10th, saying they're confusing. This Crumble company launched in 2017 and actually has 533 locations in 46 states. Yeah. 28 locations in Utah. And one of the companies they're suing is called Dirty Dough. Yeah, not a great name, but yeah. (laughs) They started in 2019 (laughs) and they have a bunch of locations. But wait, to be clear, Dirty Dough again. (laughs) Not sure what they were thinking when they named it. It was started in 2009. It opened its first store in 2020 in Tempe, Arizona. And it now has locations in Utah. So it has like about five locations, just to be clear. It's not nearly on the same level as Crumble. So the CEO of Dirty Dough mocked Crumble on LinkedIn, said a billion dollar company suing two startups. Why? Because apparently if you put sprinkles on your cookies, Crumble thinks they own that. Watch out, Grandma. You better throw away those sprinkles or you'll be Crumble's next victim. (laughs) Jonah, you thought that was so funny. (laughs) Then Dirty Dough said they would announce billboards with slogans saying, cookies so good we're being sued or our cookies don't crumble with the competition and we don't file lawsuits. We just have better cookies. Yeah. Wow. It seems like they're doing their own CEO take. They're doing a lot. (laughs) (laughs) The other company is called Crave and they're also being sued. There's a lot going on. Dirty Dough is saying that amidst the lightheartedness of social media, they're taking the allegations seriously. So yeah, it seems like, Jeff, what do you think about the Utah cookie wars? This is a wrinkle that I want to bring up. Crave has been a pretty quiet about this. You know, Dirty yeah. Dough, it seems like they feel like <laughs> they have nothing to hide, except maybe they should be hiding their stupid name. But Crave, <laughs> it says, has been comparatively very quiet amidst this c- controversy. And in the federal lawsuit against Crave, Crumble, the CEO that you know we're talking about, he argues that Crave's co-founder, Trent English... <laughs> 
<laughs> That's not a real name. Yeah, I know. He applied to be a Crumble franchise owner Ooh. and toured a Crumble store before his application was denied. Now, if I'm the CEO, I'm going to go after... That's like a reason, I guess, to go after Crave. But the truth is, like, are either of these companies really a threat to crumble? Right. You know, like, I feel like it's drawing more negative attention almost. Although I guess... Any press is good press, as they say in my biz. They got a crumble cookie in your mouth, Vanessa, by saying it. You know what I'm saying? Right, like right, right. Name, so. We're promoting um, crumble cookies right now. Now, I think the company least at fault is, and who's actually handling this kind of the best is Dirty Dough, even though, again, yeah. <laughs> don't support the name. Well, I wonder what the complaint against Dirty Dough is. Like, I know Dirty Dough is saying, like, it's just sprinkles. Yeah. Right. You know, I wonder what it is. Because on the one hand, obviously, there are a lot of big corporations and this sounds like they're actually quite big yeah that will just use the law as like a cudgel you know and just kind of be brutal with it then i think you know i have some friends in the food world because of my partner you know who i've seen it's amazing now like one of them's a donut maker like a fairly prominent donut maker very modestly gets by you know because they're the people who make all the recipes and stuff are usually not the people who make the money from it it's usually there's like a, a, a money partner or whatever right there's like a financial partner but she would go and do like, oh, I'm going to go to a festival and cook donuts there. And what kept happening was like in different places, the staff that she trained up to help her make the donuts on site would then pop up like six months later with all her recipes looking exactly as her donuts with their new company that they whoa. were trying to get like investors for and stuff where it was right, like, right, right. whoa, that is really... And, and to be fair, she never sued any of them or anything. She just kind of was like, this is pretty uncool. Like I gave you a job and like... Yeah. Totally. Yeah. That's a lesson to me because what I was going to say is like, there's only so much you can do with like cookies and like your, but I guess like the way that you trademark and design the cookies and like all that stuff, like they're saying it's like the packaging and stuff. Yeah. But yeah. I don't know. You know, this. Yeah, it's a fine line. It's really like every case. It's a is fine line. But, yeah. yeah. It seems like this CEO does have like so many stores that like, it doesn't really feel like these places are a threat. I do think it's a little sketchy. It doesn't that some, really feel like it. Yeah. yeah. That, the person from Crave like did do like, like a tour and like wanted to own a franchise and then like opened his own. Like it also could be somewhat coincidental that like that person was like, you know what, instead of just like spending all this money to open this franchise, I'm going to start my own thing. Yeah, it's possible. It's possible. I mean, there are things that can be twisted to be made to look bad that aren't that bad. And then there's also like a lot of people who just will be like, screw it. I saw how they make cookies. Why would I pay them any money for it? Yeah. 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 But Jeff, this would be like you like suing a band being like, you guys kind of sound like Thursday. Like I'm going to sue you because you know, yeah, you're inspired by me. It's like I, this also reminds me of I don't know if you filed the fire cider controversy. But what is it? Fire cider is like this kind of like medicinal kind of like folk recipe of this like cider made with like John, apple I cider can vinegar. You, neither of us follow this controversy. <laughs> 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 me and my Vicky are very into like herbalism and stuff. And so there was this drink that's been around since the 70s. And there's this woman, Rosemary Gladstar, who's an herbalist. She invented this drink. And then this company by us called Shire City Herbals tried to trademark and was like sending cease and desist basically to herbalists who had been making this like drink since the 70s. It was like a free thing and they were trying to prevent other people from selling it. And Charcy just, this company just ended up going out of business recently. And to me, it's like, you can't like a cookie or like a drink or something. These things are so... I don't know, it's not like a computer program or something. Like it's, to me, it's like so hard to copyright a 
product unless it's like exactly the same unless you're really confusing people yeah it's also like when these bigger companies are going after these smaller companies that right like seem right. like they're really no threat to them and like yes you know it's all kind of relative in terms of like you know yeah i mean i do wonder if like you know dirty dough has multiple locations so if they're starting to feel the heat right 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 crumble starting yeah oh, sorry crumble yeah crave is crave is okay <laughs> Crave is the, the. I feel like yeah. I feel like Crave is being a little sketchy, but I love that Dirty Dough is just like we're gonna like take out billboards, like making fun of these guys. Like that's how much we. They're like the United Nations. Yeah, they're like United Nations. Dirty Dough yeah. is kind of similar to United Nations. Dirty Dough are the United Nations fighting like really hard for like a company and a name that like is like okay, just kidding, you guys. No, it's a really <laughs> good band name. And that's, this is new material for your open. You know, when we start playing again and come and give us a tight five on the United Nations. <laughs> We've talked about it before. We didn't really talk about it today when I did a roast of United Nations and. I made fun of everyone in the band and the band in general. <laughs> and Jeff, I think my burn for you, I meant to get my journal. It was really good. It was something about you spelling your name with a G-E. Yeah, it was about um, you would only like trust me to sell you a jean jacket or something like that. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah, at like Gap, Gap or yeah. something. Because of the way I spelled my name, which I really liked. My favorite out of all the burns, though, is that we had David and Zach as our rhythm section. Like, <laughs> they were toddlers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, it was really fun. You guys are so nice. You let me play your cool shows and do my dumb jokes. Well, I got news. For about 180 grand, we can start our own Dirty Doge franchise. Ooh. So maybe after the podcast, we can talk about, I feel like maybe open one of these in Greenpoint, Jeff. I don't know. What do you think? Oh my gosh, it would be huge. <laughs> but wait, we got to talk about who of these three CEOs do we want to officially take down? Yeah. So just to recap, we got the Mike Reed from Gannett. We got Brandon Wallachy of Hypersocial and we got Jason McGowan of Crumble Cookies. Jeff, what do you think? So we've got like the cookie. <laughs> what was that? The cookie thief or something? There wasn't there like a cookie <laughs> bandit. Do you remember there was like a cereal that was like about like, like oh, cookie, cookie crisp, cookie crisp. cookie crisp. It's like, yeah, there was like the cookie bandits from cookie crisp. That's like the one guy is like a cookie bandit. And then the other guy is like a crying CEO, right? Yep. And then the third guy is like... <laughs> I'm going to destroy every writer on the face of the planet and make money off of it. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Basically, yeah. I think I think that's a good summary. Yeah, I think Mike Reed is my he's my choice. We got to take him down. Yeah, we got to take down Mike Reed of Gannett. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So everybody's I guess we've never gotten this far in this game because we've never played this game before, but <laughs> I think the way we take him down is <laughs> I think the way we take him down is we play this sound effect that I made. Yeah, okay. Oh yeah. Mike Reed, Reed you've been, been the subject, subject. Of a CEO takedown. Well, Jeff, where can people find you? I've been banned from Twitter because they don't believe that I'm me. Really? So you can't find me there. What? Yeah. They said that I have no proof that I'm Jeff Rickley, singer of Thursday. And that's probably because I got sober. And so I changed my email and my phone number so that I wouldn't have any like contact with old drug dealers and things like that. Got it. Got it. And so I can't prove that I'm me on Twitter anymore. But Thursday Band is on Twitter and Instagram and No Devotion Band, who just put out a new song today, which I'm extremely proud of. Like, I really love this song. It's one of my favorite songs I've ever done. We put out a song today. That's No Devotion Band on Twitter or Instagram or wherever. And then I'm just Jeff Rickley at Instagram if you're looking for me. And that's those are the easy places to find me. That's great, Jeff. Check out Jeff's new song with No Devotion. Check out United Nations Band. Yes, please. Yeah, we still have those properties, right, Joan? I think so. We still have our social medias. 
we got to do something again because our last record was for the next four years, but we've run out of years. We've run out of years. It's overdue. So you got to do like the last two years plus a couple more years. (laughs) (laughs) That would be a great title for a record. (laughs) (laughs) We can do that cross promo with Crumble and it's going to be all good. So yeah, Jeff, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Check out all Jeff's music, all his many bands. And if you like this podcast, you can leave us a review on iTunes. Please subscribe to the podcast and keep an eye out for next week's episode of How Did We Get Weird, where we will discuss more stories from our childhood and cultural touchstones like being a latchkey kid. Thanks so much, Jeff. Thanks so much, Jeff. That was so fun. Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. Are you spending more time in your basement now that it's your rec room, office, kids' playroom, or home gym? Well, you need to ventilate those spaces to remove stagnant, musty air. For over 20 years, the Easy Breathe Ventilation System exchanges dirty, damp air for cleaner, drier, healthier air. Take charge of your indoor air with your own Easy Breathe Ventilation System. You can get it installed, or DIY kits are available. Just call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com and receive 20% off today.